but I wanted to get to the questions that would be most effective for the Easter season. So I'm kind of rushing, kind of cramming in those four, but they're good and they're hopefully they'll be a good reflection for us all. Uh, I invite you this morning to turn to uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Uh, I know that I said I was going to start a new series on Easter. Uh, Funny story, you may not remember. I said that last year, too. Not Easter, on Esther. On Esther. And I said last year I was going to start a series on Esther. Uh, And just like last year, I was ready for this series. I had the series plotted out. I was excited to start it. Uh, But while on vacation, I was reading through Luke, and I just became convinced that there are some things in this book that Jesus wants us to think about together as we start our new year. Uh, And uh, so I'm going to start Esther after our Easter series sometime in April. I think Easter is in March, so in April, or not at this point, who knows. Uh, But it's all ready to go. Um, But anyway, the... One of the things I want to think about in Luke is this question. Do we trust that Jesus knows what he's doing? Do we trust that Jesus knows what he's doing? Or maybe more specifically, do we speak and act out of a trust that Jesus knows what he's doing? Uh, Do we put our money, our time, our decisions, our careers, our hobbies, our loved ones, into Jesus's hands? Do we leave everything and follow Christ, or do we hold back some part of us out of fear? Uh, I get uncomfortable with those questions because I know that my answer is rarely, yes, I trust Jesus with every area of my life. Uh, Instead, my answer is usually, sometimes. Sometimes I trust Jesus. It kind of depends on the day. Uh, It depends also on what area of my life you're talking about. And if I'm being honest, the answer is also sometimes no. No, I don't trust Jesus. I'm scared to trust Jesus. Uh, I'm willing to bet that every one of you is somewhere on that spectrum right now. Some of you this morning are feeling extremely confident in Jesus. Some of you have no confidence in him at all right now. And some of you, probably most of you, are like where I usually am, which is I trust Jesus in some areas. I don't trust him in other areas. My friends, right now, wherever you are, Jesus has a word for you in our text this morning. It's a very famous story. It's the story where Jesus tells Peter, who's called Simon at this point in our text, because Jesus hasn't changed his name to Peter yet. It's where he tells Simon Peter that he is going to make him be a fisher of men. And I know I say that, and now half of you are thinking, wait, we're having a faith sermon from this text, not an evangelism sermon? It's going gonna, it's gonna to make sense. It's going to be okay. It's, trust me. Uh, they're, they're not unrelated. But to kind of get you thinking along these lines and to prime you for why we're doing that in the text, uh, as we read the story, I want you to notice at the beginning of the story, the difference between the crowd's response to Jesus and what they are doing and what Simon and James and John are doing. And then when we get to the end of the story, I want you to notice Simon's response to Jesus's requests. He makes two requests in the gospel. I want you to notice Simon's response. And I want you to especially pay attention to 
Jesus' words when Simon falls down at his feet and asks Jesus to leave him because he's a sinner. Because when Jesus responds to Simon's request to leave him because he's a sinner, what you are not going to hear is a rebuke for Simon's inconsistent faith. Uh, You're not going to hear excuses for it either. Instead, you're going to hear an invitation from Jesus to fear not. To hold your life and the life of your loved ones out to him with open hands and to act on that open-handed trust so that you and those around you can experience the overflowing, abundant life symbolized by the fish in our text to all those who seek first the kingdom of God. That's enough introduction. Let's read Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We'll pray, and then we're going to reflect on what Jesus has to say to us about following him by faith. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Thus far the reading of what can only be God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word, and we know that we need it to be written upon our hearts and so that we can live out of it by faith and entrust ourselves to you. And so, Lord, we therefore pray that the Spirit now would go forth with your word and give us ears to hear it, minds to understand it, and hearts to believe it. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher And may the meditation of all our hearts as those called to hear and receive and submit to your word, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So did you notice the difference between what the crowds were doing and what Simon was doing? Verse 1 says the crowds were pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. Now, I need you to notice, I need you to see the picture that Luke is painting for us. The people are not in line waiting to listen to Jesus one by one. They are crowding around him, insisting, 
maybe even begging that they teach him about God in the Bible. The crowd is saying, Jesus, give us the word of God. Uh, if you've ever been to a concert, uh, maybe you've seen the fans swarming around the stage, pleading with a band to play their favorite songs or come out and play one more time. Uh, people do this with celebrities and celebrity uh, sports players as well. It's the same kind of thing. The crowds are pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God from Jesus. But Simon is not part of that crowd. In verse 2, we're told that as the crowd is pressing in on Jesus, he looks over and he sees two boats and he sees the fishermen outside the boats washing their nets. Now, I want you to see this. This crowd is so big that Jesus decides the best way to teach them is to put out from shore so that they can array themselves along the beach, which, uh, by the way, not only allows all of them to get a better chance to see Jesus, but to hear Jesus. Sound travels further when spoken from the water. That's why preaching from the water or teaching from the water was a very common practice throughout history, ancient day and even up to modern times with the, uh, the, the traveling preachers that used to go and uh, travel through the communities by horseback. And what that tells us then is that this is not a small group of people. This is not 10, 20, 30, 40 people. This is a big group of people. And I'm going to guess kind of arbitrarily, it's at least 200. Now, I don't know that for sure. The text doesn't say. But normally, when Jesus preaches from lakes, it's because there's a huge group there. For instance, when Jesus preaches to and feeds the 5,000, he does it from a lake. So my guess about the group size could be way too small. It could be thousands of people. But anyway, whatever the size, it's a big crowd. It could be a huge crowd. And Simon Peter and his friends are not part of it. They're not even walking over to join it. As a matter of fact, you get the sense that as they're rubbing their nets, they're washing their nets, they're intentionally not looking over at the crowd the way that we do when we know something's happening that we should probably pay attention to, but we don't want to. And so, man, guys, isn't it great that nothing is happening over my shoulder? I'm so glad we're alone on the beach here washing our nets. That's the image that I have in my head as I read this, this text. Because as a matter of fact, Jesus sort of goes over and forces them to become a part of this crowd when he stands in Simon Peter's boat, which hopefully you can see that in your mind too, Peter washing his nets, and there's Jesus looking at him from his boat. He forces them to become part of this crowd. Okay, why am I making such a big deal of this difference? Here's why. Simon knows who Jesus is. Simon knows the power of Jesus' teaching, and he knows the power that Jesus himself has. But he chooses to not be part of the crowd. If your Bibles are open to Luke chapter 5, look back just a few verses earlier to chapter 4, verses 38 to 39. This is a few days, maybe a couple of weeks earlier. Let me read what's already happened. Chapter 4, verse 38. And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. 
Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and Jesus stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose and began to serve them. Simon has already begged for Jesus' help. He's already received his help. He's had Jesus in his home. And if you glance down just a little further at chapter 4, verses 42 through 44, you'll see that despite the requests of others in the town, and we don't know if Simon was a part of that group or not, Jesus left there to go other places. I'll read it here. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving, but Jesus said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Do you know who didn't follow Jesus when he left to go preach to these other towns? Simon. And who is not excitedly following him when Jesus comes back to teach and to heal more people? Simon. Why? Well, the text doesn't tell us directly, but that doesn't mean that we can't use our prayerfully sanctified imaginations to reflect on why, because clearly there's something going on here that the text wants us to think about. I think this is especially true for us because for many of us, we've also experienced the teaching and the power of Jesus, and yet we don't always hurry to follow or hurry to listen. We don't always beg Jesus to teach us like the crowds. In fact, sometimes like Simon, when Jesus is talking, when we hear him talking in the word or when we hear something that sounds suspiciously like Jesus in the conversations of God's people, we are very studiously cleaning our nets or looking down at our smartphones, sleeping in on Sundays, or looking down and away from the discipleship opportunities that we know Jesus is calling us to, but we're so glad we can't hear him because look at my net. Why do we do that? Well, here are some options that uh, I came up with as I reflected on the text that I think might speak to different people here, but also I think are grounded in the text themselves. And again, these can't be definitive, but they are hopefully subjective and reasonable, and I think they are also connected to the text. Here's one. Maybe Simon didn't think that Jesus would want him to be his disciple. Maybe he thought Jesus has all of these people. What does he need me for? He has that amazing man, that amazing woman, that prodigy child. Why would he want me? Maybe that's why. If that's you this morning, recognize that Jesus walked over and stood in Simon's boat, the most obnoxious of the disciples, the hardest headed, the one who was always ready to rush in where angels feared to tread, and he invited him to join his group. And in that picture, what he's doing is he's telling you, I have invited you to hear me because I want you to be one of my disciples. I have formed you for a relationship with me, and I want that relationship to exist. You may feel unwanted, maybe like Simon felt unwanted. Jesus does not feel that way about you. 
What about other possible reasons? Well, here are a bunch of reasons that are all related. Uh, and from the details of, that God gives in the text, text, I think they're kind of really good guesses as to what's maybe going on in Simon's heart and head. Here they are. Maybe Simon didn't think he had time to follow Jesus. After all, Simon Peter is married, right? He has a mother-in-law. You only get those through marriage. That means he has a family to support. Maybe he has kids. You know, the text doesn't tell us that Simon has a family, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a family. Simon has a job. He has responsibilities. Who has the time to follow Jesus around while he's doing things? Maybe related to that, Simon thinks that Jesus' teachings aren't really all that useful for daily life. Maybe they're only useful when someone is dying or in danger. After all, some people think that Jesus' words and teaching are really only useful for emergencies, but they're not really useful for everyday living. And I offer this as a reflection on that particular way of thinking in my experience. When people say that Jesus doesn't matter for daily life, that's often code for, I can't trust Jesus for my daily bread. And really, maybe that's it. Maybe Simon was afraid that if he actually gave himself to Jesus, that Jesus wouldn't provide everything necessary for him and for his loved ones to thrive. I mean, the fact that they're fishing instead of listening to Jesus makes me think that this is probably the reason. After all, fishing was their livelihood. It paid the bills. It fed the family. It provided for the financial portion of their life with God and for their community. Do you think that maybe Simon was thinking something that's very familiar to what we sometimes think? Which is, I'll follow Jesus after I have taken care of the people around me, the people I love, the community I love. Uh, I'll go to church, I'll pray, I'll minister and serve after my work is finished. Then I'll give to the people God has put around me. I'll, I'll contribute money to Jesus after I've saved enough that I feel like my family is safe, just in case Jesus falls through. In other words, I'll listen and follow and commit once I've created a hedge against the possibility that I can't really trust Jesus, that maybe he will fail me or leave me or reject me. I think Jesus forces all these kinds of issues to the surface, and that fishing pun is very much intended. I worked on that a while. I'm sad it didn't get more of a laugh. Uh, Jesus forces the issues to the surface by going and standing in Peter's boat. Right? Jesus is showing here that he loves Simon. And Jesus loves you. And he does not want Simon or you to miss out on the abundant blessings that come from following Jesus and seeking first the kingdom of God. He wants Simon and you and all of us to have a peace-filled confidence that Jesus knows what he's doing with us and with our loved ones and with our communities and with our church. And so after twisting Simon's arm behind his back with positive peer pressure, Yes, positive. If you didn't notice this, then you're not really thinking about the context. You've got hundreds, maybe 
thousands of people crowding around you, and Jesus asks in their hearing for your help to speak to all of them. And on top of that, he saved your mother-in-law's life. Like, are you going to tell Jesus no? (laughs) Right? So after using positive peer pressure, Jesus basically forces Simon to sit and listen to him teach about the kingdom of God. And then afterwards, this happens in verse 4. I'm going to read it. And when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Why does Jesus do this? I mean, yes, obviously Jesus is going to do it so he can fill their nets up with fish. But why this way? Why the deep water? Why let down your nets? Well, first, let's think about why Jesus wants Simon to put out his nets again. Peter gives us the reason, the main reason in verse 5. He says, And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. So from somewhere between the late evening to the early morning, Simon and his fellow fishermen have been working hard to catch fish which they need to do, right, to feed their families, provide for their neighbors the very things that we rightly put at the top of the list of the things we must do, the very things that we're so often afraid Jesus won't do. But Simon couldn't do it. He couldn't provide. All night they were out there working, and they took nothing. Nothing. And so Jesus tells them to go out into the deep water and fish there. And to see why Simon hesitates and even offers what I feel like is a mildly sarcastic, slightly rebukey answer to Jesus over this, you need to understand two things. First, just real quick, you need to understand something about these fishing nets. The nets the disciples used were casting nets. They had some kind of weight like stone or iron around the edges, and then from the shore, the fishermen would throw it into the water The stones would sink down, and then the fishermen would wade into the water and pull it up in such a way that the net would encircle the fish. So there is no rope to pull the net back onto shore. So if you want to catch the fish, you have to get into the water with the net to pull it out. Or use one of the shallow bottom boats that the disciples had to stand in in case they threw the net a little bit too far out that they couldn't touch. But not only that, casting nets by design only catch fish that are near the surface of the water. That's why they're used for casting near shore. Out in deep water, in the heat of the day, the fish are not at the surface. They're at the bottom, completely out of reach of the nets. So Jesus asked Simon Peter to go and do something that he certainly felt was a potentially dangerous waste of time. And I think Jesus' reasoning for doing this is so that Peter would connect his feelings about this scary waste of time fishing trip with casting nets to his feelings about following Jesus and his own fear that Jesus will not provide for him and his family. Essentially, I think in this response, you can hear Peter say, Jesus, if I go out into the deep water, I'll be in danger. And you and I both know 
we won't catch anything. There's no life out there that these nets can grab hold of, which means my family might be in danger of losing me or losing resources. Uh, doesn't that just sound so much like our own fear of trust with Jesus? Like if I do what you say, Jesus, what's going to happen is everything bad and nothing good and we're all going to die? Just me? See, Jesus uses the deep water as an inflection point, a point of transition in Simon's life of faith. He uses it to create an opportunity for Simon to act in faith, to say to Jesus, even with the doubts that he still clearly has and the fear he has, okay, I'll try it. And that choice to try and to put himself and his fears into Jesus' hands changes Simon's life forever. Verses 6 and 7, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Remember in the story for Simon and his friends, fish represent life. Life for them, life for their families, life for their neighbors, life for their community. When he follows the words of Jesus, they receive so much life that it takes several men to haul it into two boats and the boats can't hold them and they start to sink. Or as Jesus says elsewhere, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. My friends, I'm sure you're all aware of places in your life where you are afraid to trust Jesus because you believe that the places that Jesus is calling you to go, the things he's calling you to do, are dangerous and a waste of time. There can't be life there. Some of you know that Jesus is asking you to row out into the deep waters of confession and vulnerability uh, to say clearly and to own openly the ways in which you have sinned against your neighbors and against Jesus, to open yourself up to honestly about the fears and struggles that you have. But confession is scary, and vulnerability is scary, and you think life cannot be in such a fearful place. But Jesus says in the Bible, life is in confession. He says that there is more life there than you can possibly haul in by yourself. Likewise, some of you are being called to cast your nets into the deep, scary waters of forgiveness and reconciliation. And that feels scary. But my friends, know with certainty that Jesus isn't asking you to do this because he wants to drown you, but because he wants you to know the abundant life that the Spirit pours out into the hearts of those who forgive as they have been forgiven. Some of you need to enter into the deep waters of trust for how you use your money. And here Jesus is called to be generous and open-handed, to trust that giving to the Lord and seeking first the kingdom of God does not leave you with less, but instead opens you to the joy of generosity that Jesus wants you to have and opens your eyes to the abundant and overflowing generosity that Jesus pours out on you daily. 
Others of you need to enter into the deep waters of service to your fellow Christians and to your neighbors and even to the gospel witness of those who are around you because you're convinced, not without reason, that if you give your time and your relational energy to these people, you'll be used and unimportant and left unfulfilled. Or maybe you're afraid that if you invite your family and friends to meet Jesus, or even just to meet your church family, that Jesus will actually turn that into something to hurt you, that he will drive them away because of that, and you'll be left with heartache. I want you to hear Jesus say, whoever would save their life, they will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, right, in service to God and neighbor and the gospel, will find it. I want you to see Jesus here in this text winsomely drawing people to himself, building relationships that overflow throughout the years in joy and confession and reconciliation and forgiveness. James, John, and, his, uh, and Peter, right? These three close friends bound together, no longer as business partners, but as disciples of Christ because of what they did here in this text and the following of Jesus they did throughout the rest of their life. See, Jesus is calling you to step out in faith so that he can fill your nets, if you will, full of life. And then finally, some of you need to dive into the deep waters of devoting your time to Jesus, of spending time with Jesus in prayer and in worship on Sundays. Uh, for some of us, we're afraid that if we give Jesus five to ten minutes a few days a week, two hours on Sunday, that we will be penniless, homeless, friendless, and jobless. I don't think that. Really? Just me again? <laughs> Am I the only one here that has a heart, sinful heart? Is it just me? Or worse, and this is something I felt too, and I'm sure you felt it, we'll discover that if we do give time to Jesus, that we'll discover this whole thing is an empty sham and we'll be left with nothing. I'm here to tell you, don't be afraid to commit to Jesus in prayer and in corporate worship. It's not a sham. Jesus is calling you into the deep of committed faith because there you will find so many blessings of the kingdom of God that you will need others' help, the church's help, in distributing them to others, to the community, to yourself, to your family, to the world. Let's end with this. After Simon sees what happens, he falls down at Jesus' feet and he asks him to leave. Depart. It's kind of weak translation. Get away from me. It's better. Because he's a sinner. Now I think Simon does this because he recognizes that the generosity of Jesus is not only something he doesn't deserve, but also that he can't repay, and probably most especially, cannot live up to. And he's right. As we'll see as we go through Luke for a little bit, but Simon is not perfectly trusting Jesus after this. He has to learn trust. He has to learn how to walk out into the deep waters over and over again. 
You can think of the story of Peter walking on the waves and then sinking again, right? Trust, doubt. I think Simon wants Jesus to leave because he knows that he will never be able to trust Jesus the way that he should or follow Jesus the way that he would want to. That he will never be able to give his life completely to somebody who is so good that Peter says, I'm going to fail you, Jesus. And in response, Jesus says in verse 10, do not be afraid. And throughout the Gospels, this is what Jesus says when he wants to assure us that we can trust him, that we can trust him to be good and faithful and abundantly kind to sinners and failures like us. Jesus is telling Simon, don't be afraid. I'll come get you when you doubt. I'll rescue you when you sink. And I'll come stand in your boat when you're trying to avoid me. I will grow you and bring you to completion because I will finish that good work which I have already begun in you. And I will do that by continually calling you out into the deep waters of trust so that your faith can grow, so that you can experience my reliability and the way in which my goodness and mercy chase you down every day at my command. Because I want to give you all the blessings of the kingdom of God that my goodness has for you and that I have for you to give to those around you. And in response to this demonstration of how trustworthy is, Simon and his friends, James and, John, James and John, the text tells us, leave everything and follow Jesus. They commit themselves and everything they hold dear to Jesus. My friends, it's not easy to follow Jesus into the deep waters, but Jesus wants us to know that that's where the life with him is. So leave everything and follow him. And please, spend some time this week prayerfully discerning the deep waters that Jesus is calling you to go to. And if you want help discerning that, talk to your Christian friends. Talk to your uh, spouses if you're married. Or talk to me. I'd be happy uh, to pray with you, to be a sounding board, to support you as you walk with faith in Jesus. That's what pastors are for. Something I'd love to be a part of. And as you do this, and as we do this, let's encourage each other that there is more life with Jesus than we could possibly imagine. Life that it will take our whole church family to haul in. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the incredible abundance of your blessings which you have given to us and have for us in the Lord Jesus. Father, we also confess that it is hard for us to follow you into the deep waters and to let down our nets. We fear drowning. We fear being empty, coming up empty-handed. But Lord, we know that you, meet, you are willing to meet our doubts with the assurance of your promised presence and that you will not fail us because you have never failed your people. 
And so, Father, help us to discern where you are calling us into the deep water so that we can go out there by faith and receive the abundant life you have for us. Help us as a church to support each other as we go into the places that you have called us to go because we want to trust you and grow in faith. And also because we want to be a church that is so overflowing with the abundant blessings of your covenant mercy and and the gospel of your kingdom that we can't uh, distribute them to our family and friends and neighbors fast enough. And we ask that you would bless us in all these ways in Jesus' name. Amen.